Welcome to Calvary. All right, we're a professional act, and uh, we do this every Sunday. It is good to have you here with us uh, back on our campus, and welcome to all of you that are online today. Uh, glad that you have joined with us and hope that you will take a minute to connect with us. If you're online, just let us know that you were part of what was happening, whether you are watching us on our platform or on YouTube. Glad to have you along, and so glad to have those of you that are with us today at our campus and uh, back with us physically, that is a good thing, as we continue on in our series called Rediscovering Christmas. If ever there was a year where we needed Christmas, Christmas season, spirit of Christmas, songs of Christmas, the hope that Christmas brings, it is this year. And so we are looking at rediscovering Christmas and what it means to actually do that, no matter what kind of year you've had or where you find yourself, uh, we, we want to rediscover the truth of Christmas and this season. I don't know if you heard about the guy who uh, decided to buy his wife a beautiful diamond ring for Christmas and uh, bought this beautiful ring, showed it to one of his friends. His friend said, hey, uh, I thought your wife kind of wanted one of those souped up sporty four-wheel drive SUVs. And the guy looked back at him and said, yeah, but where am I going to find a fake Jeep? So anyways, hopefully you got that a little better than the nine o'clock crowd. Congratulations. Um, maybe you're a little more awake. Let's, uh, I hope there's nothing fake about the way that we celebrate Christmas. And maybe, maybe the truth of that comes into play a little more this year, doesn't it? When, when possibly some of the way that we celebrate is, is not available to us. You know, we're not having, in fact, for the first time in, I think, probably the history of our church, we're not having Christmas concerts. Now, that's just, that's not the norm. But yet, that's not Christmas. That's not the essence. It's one of the ways we celebrate. We want to get back to it. We want to, we want to make sure that next year we have that available to us. But if for some reason, the circumstances of the season pull back on the celebration of the season, then maybe we are missing out on something. And so I want to talk to you today as we look at rediscovering Christmas on the importance of, of waiting. Waiting. Now, if ever there was a season of the year in which you had to wait... I think that you would find it's Christmas. Christmas. Christmas season is a season of waiting. Kids wait seemingly all throughout the year for Christmas to happen. But when we finally get to that season of the year, don't you find yourself a lot of times waiting, waiting in line, waiting on traffic, waiting to get to where you need to go? Waiting till the last minute to do your shopping. Waiting for those last minute sales so that you can grab a gift or two that you still need. Waiting. We wind up waiting so oftentimes during the Christmas season. And here's my question. What if God has a reason for the waiting? And what if God is endeavoring to do something in us and through us in the waiting? And before we ever get to a large philosophical difference that that can make in our lives, maybe it needs to make a difference in the minute detail of our lives. Waiting. 
waiting. So, so here's the title of today's message. Last week we talked about when God messes up your plans. When God messes up your plans. And we've talked, uh, we've, we've all had plans messed up this year, haven't we? All of us have had plans that have been messed up in one way or another this, this year, 2020. Last week we talked about that sometimes when God messes up your plans, it's because he has a better plan. He has something more in mind that he wants to do in you and through you. Well, today we're going to talk about when God makes you wait. When God makes you wait. So in essence, we're tackling two subjects here in the first two weeks of Christmas that none of us really like to have happen, do we? We don't like it when our plans are changed. I've got these plans, I've had these plans, and when they get changed, when they get messed up, it's kind of like, come on, that's not fair. And now we're taking it another step and saying, when God, you mean God sometimes makes me wait? There might actually be a purpose to my waiting? There might be something that God wants me to learn in the waiting? Yeah. When God makes us wait. Or the cooler title, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. This is for all the younger people. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. And why is it so important for us to understand the importance of waiting? Because we are constantly, think about it now, in a hurry. We are constantly in a hurry. And, and think of how we, even, how, how we even talk about the waiting, and especially when we have people waiting for us, right? Hold on a moment, just a second. I'll be with you in a minute. I'll be right back. Have you ever used those? Have you ever heard those terms? What's going on? All of our euphemisms contain some kind of effort to make you believe that the amount of time you have to wait or the amount of time that this will take you will be very minute, very small. In essence, we belittle waiting. We belittle waiting. And, and here's the kicker. None of us have time to wait. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what season of life you find yourself in. We don't have time to wait. My wife has a little phrase, a favorite little phrase that she uses. Two words, real quick. Real quick. She will use that phrase, and sometimes she'll use that phrase on me, endeavoring to get me to somehow in my mind think, this isn't going to be long. You know, could you take the dogs out real quick? Well, I could, but real quick in me, you know, it would be about five seconds it's going to take me to actually get both of the dogs, first of all, to come to the door, which is sometimes a chore in and of itself. Then you've got to put the leash on the dogs, then you've got to open the door, you've got to go outside, then you've got to let them go out, and then they need to do something before you can bring them back in. This is not going to be real quick. I just need to go upstairs real quick, real quick. And I've learned, Tom, that when she says real quick, it may or may not be real quick. What's going on, though? She wants to get me to try to somehow believe that it's going to be fast. Don't, it, this, this will be over before you know it. Real quick. And we all do that. Why? Because we are consumed with hurry. 
We have to get to the next thing, the next item on our agenda, the next plan, the next scheduled event. We've got to get here and there. We have to stay busy. Why? Well, everyone else is busy, so if I'm not busy, there must be something wrong with me. And we are constantly in a hurry. And sometimes God says, you want to know something? Just hold on. Just hold on. And we're okay if we have to wait, but we'd like you to do that real quick. Okay, God, I'll wait, but just, you know, real quick. I'll wait, but hurry up about it. What's going on? There's a philosopher, philosophy professor, former. He's actually passed away. But he's a former philosophy professor at USC, the University of Southern California. But you're not going to know him. You won't know his name. But he is also a mentor to a lot of Christian leaders. And if I mentioned some of them, you very well might know their name. Because while a philosophy professor at USC, he was an avid Jesus follower and a pastor and a teacher. And this is what he said. And actually, a book has been written from this one sentence that he gave. He didn't write the book, but somebody wrote it down, and they've written the book from it. This is what he said. His name is Dallas Willard. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy in our spiritual life today. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Hurry is the greatest... Now, we could argue that. Man, there's a lot of other seemingly spiritual enemies, aren't there? But he says the greatest enemy in our day and age is hurry. And we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. We, we have learned to belittle waiting. And it starts with the small things. Waiting in line. Waiting in traffic. Waiting for the person ahead of you. Okay? I mean, there have been even comedians that have made a career out of waiting. You know, the guy who had the whole act about going into McDonald's and the person gets to the front of the line and they're like, eh, Oh, man, I want... He's like, order! Get out of line if you don't know what you want. It's McDonald's. You've been here before. Why is it taking you so long? We are constantly in a hurry. Dallas Willard says, you know what? We really need to ruthlessly eliminate that from our lives. You're like, Billy, where in the world are you going with this? Christmas. Christmas. A, a great part of Christmas was waiting. Do you know that God began the preparation for Christmas thousands of years before it came to be? And there was something that God was endeavoring to do in the waiting. And maybe there are some things that happened in the waiting that we can learn from and apply to our lives today. We hate waiting because we are always in a hurry, because we have equated hurried with busy and busy with successful. And so we hate to wait, but maybe we should stop belittling waiting and understand that there is something powerful that comes in the waiting.
So I'm going to give you two points today. We're not going to dwell on this long. I'm just going to give you two points, a couple of sub-points for each one, kind of a major sentence, in fact. If you're writing things down, whether you're here with us or, or online, we don't have our notes available to you yet, but uh, hopefully at some point here in the near future, we'll be able to get back at that. But if you're taking things down or just trying to mentally remember things, I want to give you two points about the power of waiting. The first one is the power of position. The second one is the power of anticipation. The power of position and the power of anticipation. Now, whether you're here with us on our campus or online, I want you to say that with me, all right? I'm going to give you the power of, and you're going to give me the word. The power of position, the power of anticipation. Here we go. Ready? The power of position and the power of anticipation. Let's do it one more time. The power of position and the power of anticipation. There is a power that comes in the waiting when we understand the proper position that we should be in while we are waiting and the importance of the anticipation of waiting. First of all, the power of position. The power of position. Today, uh, at, at, at one, 1 o'clock, in just a couple hours, uh, NFL teams will line up for another game. And those NFL teams will line up. Somebody will kick off. They'll come out in the field. The offense will gather, and the quarterback will be underneath the center. In front of him will be numerous defensive linemen. And they will be poised and positioned for power. In fact, some of them, some of them, those that were the best, they, they even had a, a mindset, a face, a body language that just reeked with power. Sometimes they would key in like on a Singletary, a Mike Singletary who played for the, the Bears when their defense was incredible, and his eyes were just, I mean, you could just see the fury coming off of his face. He was locked in step and ready to go, positioned for power. Some, some of them will be in a three-point stance. Some of them will be more in an anticipation of running. Some of them will be kind of herky-jerky, trying to throw the quarterback off. They are in a position to make a difference. Their job is to attack that offensive line, to get to the quarterback, to bottle up the run. And the best teams have an incredible defensive line. And they're always messing up the offense. But here's the job of the quarterback, a good quarterback. His first job will be to try to throw the defense off. Sometimes if he sees them lined up one way, he'll call a different play. And they'll have to kind of move around because they'll realize he's changing the play right at the line of scrimmage. Sometimes a good quarterback, he'll throw off some false signals, which will what? It'll get that defense to jump, and they'll jump off sides. They jump off sides, then they got to hurry up and get back into position, or a flag's going to be thrown, and that quarterback just got them to jump out of position, and they get an extra five yards. The good quarterbacks, they'll hike that ball when they see that guy out of position, and they know they got a free play. And sometimes, some of the biggest plays that happen in a game are those free plays that a quarterback gets. Why? Because the defense was out of position. Position is so important. And our position when we have to wait. What, what is your, what's the position that you have of waiting? Let, let me share some of you, okay? Well, you know what? I'll just do some of mine and see if maybe they're a reflection of you, okay? In, in the waiting, what do we do? 
Is this your position of waiting? Kind of tapping your foot. Your eyes get a little bigger maybe. You know, you get that glazed look like, I can't believe how long I've been having to sit here. Can't believe I'm having to wait in line. Can't believe the person has been to McDonald's 200,000 times and when they get to the front, they don't know what they want. I'm the fifth car back here. Why couldn't you figure out what you wanted before you... And we wait and we get exasperated and we get impatient and we roll our eyes and we tap our foot and we fold our arms and we want to make sure that people understand our position when it comes to waiting. We're not real happy about it. We're not real pleased. Why? Because we're in a hurry. And the reason we're in a hurry is because we're so busy because we've equated busyness with success. And all of us want to be successful. And I can't be successful unless I'm busy and I can't be busy unless I'm in a hurry which means I don't have time to wait for you to figure out how you want your Big Mac. I don't have time for you to figure out how to drive. You should have learned that when you were 16. Get out of my way! I'm in a hurry. We get thrown out of position. What is the position that a believer in Christ should have in the waiting? Here it is. We need to have the perspective of God. Our position is one of perspective. Having God's perspective on things while praising him from ours. Let me say that to you again. Having God's perspective on life while praising him from ours. We can look at life from his perspective, but we gotta praise him from where we're at. We gotta praise him from where we wind up where we line up. We've got to praise him in the midst of where we are. The power of position, seeing things from God's perspective while praising him from ours. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. This is, again, I'm going to use Isaiah a lot today. Isaiah is the prophet who God spoke through the most in the Old Testament to talk about a Messiah that was coming to make a difference in the world. And this is what Isaiah says, chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Seeing things from God's perspective. What is God's perspective? He says, arise, shine, your light has come. He's not oblivious to what's happening in the world. He's not oblivious to the difficulties. He's not oblivious to the darkness. In fact, it says right here, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. That's how you might evaluate 2020. That's how you might look at the world in which we live in this year. Darkness covers the world and thick darkness covers the people. And yet God says what? 
arise, shine. My dad. Most of you know, if you know me, I thought my dad was the greatest dad in the world. He was awesome. Hard to believe that it has been nearly two years at some point this week since he went to be with the Lord. And I miss him terribly. He was a great dad. But he could be annoying. All right? Just throwing that out there. My dad had some annoying habits, especially when we were growing up. One of them was this. Every morning, my brother and I would get up for school. We'd get up early to go to school. Okay? And, 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 and mom would be the one that would get us up. Mom would be the one, you know, making us something to eat so we have a little bit of breakfast or something before we leave. Mom's making sure we've got money for lunch or making us a lunch. Mom, if had to, taking us to Dad was nowhere to be found. We were up every morning, Monday through Friday, early, going to school. Then on Saturday, Dad felt that all Saturdays were made for yard work. All right? As often as there was not snow on the ground, there was work to be done. When we lived on a small little house on Richmond and just had a small backyard to take care of, didn't matter. Yard work. And then we moved to Kennebec, and we had this huge backyard with 7,000 trees so that you could always be raking leaves throughout the whole year if you really wanted to. There was always work to be done. And so Dad would come in at some point on Saturday morning. Now, it wasn't early. I mean, you've got to understand. You know, it's not, I'm not saying it's 7.30 or something, but, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, he'd come in both of our rooms knocking on the door, and the first words out of his mouth would be, rise and shine. <laughs> you just want to take a pillow and whack him on the head. You rise and shine. You haven't been up one morning this week. My, all my friends are sleeping. I presumed. <laughs> I didn't know for sure. But I presumed that. And so many, and then when you didn't rise and shine, because let's be honest, at some point we became teenagers, right? And we realized that, you know, waking up and getting up were two different things. He'd start, you know, he'd start doing things like air raid. You know, he'd call an air raid and start bombing you with pillows and that. Oh my gosh. It's like, Dad, get out. So annoying, but every Saturday, rise and shine. I don't want to rise. I don't want to shine. Is that the way you feel? Notice that God is not giving us really an option, is he? If you'd like to, arise and shine. He says, rise and shine. And he's not oblivious to the circumstances. The world is covered in darkness. And in fact, to be honest, thick darkness is over the people. But he says, your light has come. If you could see things from my perspective, you need to rise and shine. And why is it so important? Because the darker it is, the more prevalent your light is. The more important the light is. The more penetrating the light is. Arise and shine. Your light has come. You may not feel like rising and shining, but he's not asking. That's what we are called to do. And when we see things from God's perspective, 
It helps us see that our ability to rise and shine is not wrapped up in self or circumstances. It's wrapped up in the Savior that came and was born in a manger. That's why the prophet Isaiah would say the word of the Lord is arise and shine. Why? He was still hundreds of years from coming. But God knew the promise of the light was coming, and if they would put their faith and trust in that promise, and now here we are on the other side of the promise, and we get to actually read the words in the New Testament from the Apostle John, who said in John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't even get it. The darkness may not understand it. The darkness may not get why you can't, in the midst of these circumstances, be okay, be happy, be patient, be joyful, be looking forward instead of looking behind. What's going on? Your light has shown. Arise and shine. And how oftentimes are Christians the one who seemingly are adding to the attitude of darkness? God forbid. God forbid. Arise and shine. God is not oblivious to our circumstances. He's not oblivious to our situation, but he says, rise above that. How can I? Because I sent my son into the world 2,000 years ago. Rise, shine, your light has come. And when John wrote those words, he was still writing in the midst of a time when darkness had enveloped the world and deep darkness was over so many people. But yet John could say, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. I love it when something in the New Testament correlates so closely with something in the Old Testament. And it was written hundreds of years apart. Because only the Spirit of God could make that happen. We need to begin to see life from the perspective of God while at the same time praising Him from our own perspective. Sometimes our situation doesn't change. Sometimes our circumstances don't quickly pass by. But we still praise Him in the midst of the circumstance because we are seeing it from His perspective. Notice what the angel said. Luke chapter 1, verse 45. We go back to the Christmas story now. We correlate between Isaiah, who prophesied it, and it really happening as we find in Luke and, and Matthew. And Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and he says, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Notice her circumstance. Lowly servant girl. But what's going on? She could, even in just those first few moments, see things from God's perspective. Enough so that the angel Gabriel would say to her, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. 
Doubts for Mary? I'm sure they were there. Questions? Yeah. Travail? Uh-huh. Little bit of labor? Mm-hmm. Nine months of it, in fact. Nine months of waiting. And I'm sure that after Gabriel's gone, there has to be those moments when Mary is like, how in the world am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? How am I going to explain this to my relatives, my friends? They're not going to understand the people in the church. They're not going to get it. The people that I go to shop with, people that I go to school with, they're not going to understand. They're not going to get it. She has her doubts. She has her questions. But she sees things immediately from God's perspective. And she praises him from hers. How my soul praises the Lord. And think, think about your life. Think about your circumstance because I think about mine. I think about my circumstance and I think how often the circumstances of life determine whether or not I praise the Lord. And when something doesn't go my way and a situation arises that I wish wouldn't have happened and the circumstances don't seem to be working out and things seem to be closing down and just when you get up here, everything's pulled back again. My soul praises the Lord? I don't think so. I begin to wonder, hey, God, do you know what you're doing? Do you have any idea what's happening in our world, Lord? Why are you messing this up? And yet here is a teenager who teaches us a life lesson when in the midst of what must have been questions swirling around in her mind, she says, my soul praises the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The problem is our spirit doesn't rejoice because we have made someone or something else our Savior. And when that lets us down, there is no spirit of rejoicing. And that is why it is so important that our spirit rejoices in our Savior and not our circumstances. The position of praise, seeing things from God's perspective while praising him from ours. There's a power in our position. There is a power in our position, the position of waiting. And then finally, there's a power of anticipation. Not just a power that comes in our position, there is a power in anticipation. Looking expectantly while living productively. Looking expectantly while living productively. Let me say it again. Looking expectantly while living productively. There is a part of the Christmas story that you don't ever get to in your Christmas Eve reading. We never actually quote it from stage when we're sharing the story of Christmas. And my guess is if you read Luke chapter 2 before you open presents, you are trying to finish as quickly as possible and not wanting to move on through the whole chapter. So you never get to this part, but it is an interesting part that happens right after the birth of Jesus. Being a good Jewish couple, they 
want to take this little boy, this little son, and have him dedicated at the temple. And so that's what Mary and Joseph do. They make their way after their long trip to Bethlehem, just days after he's born, to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Luke 2.25, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He eagerly expected Messiah to come. Looking expectantly while living productively. He lived in such anticipation of a coming Messiah that it made a difference in the way that he lived. It made a difference in the way that he looked. It made a difference in his outlook on life. It made a difference in his reaction to people. He was waiting, but he was waiting in anticipation. He was eagerly expecting Messiah to come. So much so that God said, you want to know something, Simeon? You will not leave the earth until you see him. And the Bible says that Mary and Joseph brought that little baby, and he held that little baby, and it's as if God whispered in his ear, this is the one. And he's like, now, now I can go, Lord. Anytime. Because I have seen that you have fulfilled your promise. Eagerly expected Messiah to come. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Again, this incredible prophet who gave so many words of prophecy And it's interesting because Isaiah is one of those prophets that lived. He lived through the good times and the bad times. All right? He he lived through a little bit of war and peace. You know that huge novel that you've probably never read all the way through because it's like 7,000 pages, but it's, it's a classic novel, and it begins with the words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Isaiah could understand that. Some prophets, they lived through great time periods. They prophesied for God through periods of success and favor and God's blessing. Other prophets, many times prophets would would share and prophesy and preach and proclaim God's word in the midst of disfavor, in the midst of cursing because of disobedience. But sometimes there were those who actually lived through both. That's Isaiah. And Isaiah is now in the midst of some difficult. The the good times came in the early part of his life, but then the difficult times came for the nation of Israel, and he is still prophesying. And God gives to him all of this prophecy relating to a coming Messiah who would be hundreds of years down the road. But yet, nevertheless, this is what he says, Isaiah 9, chapter 1. That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. A light will shine. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And there's somebody, somebody who needs to hear that message. It's the reason you've tuned in today. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever.
and he prophesies to these people, this, this nation of Israel, they've turned their back on God, and yet God, in his grace and mercy, says, it won't be like this forever. And how much of a correlation is there between that time period and our own? And, and so oftentimes, church, so, so oftentimes, we want to we look outside the walls of the church, and we want to say, oh, the, the people are so living in darkness, and yet the question has to be, what if God wants to, throughout the circumstances that we find ourselves, wake up his people, his church, We so constantly want him to do something on the outside, forgetting that it's our own hearts that need to be changed. It's our own lives that need to be dedicated to him. That we need to understand from a fresh perspective that our light has come. And in the first public message that Jesus gives, what did he say? No matter what side of the tracks you were born in, no matter what part of socioeconomic background you had, no matter the characteristics, no matter what the difficulties, no matter the despair or the despondency that you came with, as he looked out over an audience of thousands of people, he said to them, you are the light of the world. I've come... And I'm the main light. But I'm going to live in you. And you're going to light up the world for me. God was growing something powerful. Even as Isaiah writes these words, God was preparing, God was growing something powerful powerful to make its entrance into the world. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Was God with Mary in the waiting? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, let, let's be honest about it. God wasn't only with Mary, you ready for this? God was in Mary during the waiting. You catch that? God was, because what did Jesus say? Jesus comes around and says, hey, look, uh, guys, uh, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you put your trust in me, it's as if you've put your trust in him. I know you're not going to understand it all right now, and you'll be able to go to school and theologically dissect and pull apart and figure it all out, but just trust me when I say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And God was not only with Mary during this waiting period, God was in Mary. Now, did it mean it was easy? No. Guess what? She still had to deal with all the people in the village. She still had to deal with family members who probably never did really quite believe her story. She still had to talk with Joseph, who at first was a little like, Mary, how am I supposed to believe this until an angel came and told him that she was telling the truth? She still had, in fact, the best thing for her was to get out of town, so she went and spent some time with Elizabeth for a few weeks, away from all of the snickering people and the 
eyes raised and all that kind of thing. And she got out of there. She still had to deal with that. She still had to deal with having a baby. She not only had to deal with having a baby, she had to deal with having a baby in a stable. And before she got to the stable, she had to ride a donkey, not an RV, not an SUV, not a Lincoln Navigator. She rode a donkey to get from where she was to where she needed to be. And that's where the baby was born. And even still today, moms, you understand this, don't you, more than anyone else. What do they call it when you go to the hospital? They don't call it happy day. Go to the happy day floor. Happy day birthing center. It's called what? Labor and delivery. Labor. It's work. She still had to go through all that, but she didn't go through it alone, did she? God was not only with her, God was growing something powerful in her during the waiting. Looking expectantly while living productively. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, an angel comes, and this is what he says. After he, Joseph, had considered all these things, he's had a conversation with Mary, and he's trying to figure it all out. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There is nobody else but you, Joseph. Trust what she's saying this is a God thing. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. God is with us. And in the period of waiting, guess who is with you? God is. Just as he was with Mary during the period of waiting. Just as he was with Joseph during that period of waiting. Just as he was with the wise men as they traveled to find the Messiah in that period of waiting. By the time they got to Jesus, it's not quite as we depict in our concerts and our pageants and our movies. They didn't quite get there on the spot with the soldiers. It looks great in the nativity. And please don't change it. There's nothing wrong with it. But it probably took them a couple years. What a journey. God was with them. God was guiding them. And so... In the waiting, he is with you. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And when you understand that Jesus, before he left, told his followers, I'm leaving. Wait, no, you're God with us. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But here's the deal. It's best for you that I leave. Because when I leave, I will send back to you my spirit so that wherever you are, I'll be with you. And that's why he could say when he left this earth for the first time in Matthew 28, lo, I am with you always. 
and he is with you even in the waiting. He is with you. And is it possible that he is trying to use this waiting period to grow something powerful in you? Now here's the deal. Before you can take this and apply it to the major parts of your life, you know where I'm going, don't you? you got to apply it to the minor parts. So can I tell you something? And this might shock some of you, but let me, just, let me, try, to, let me try to help you out a little quick. I'm, I'm pretty sure at some point during this season, you're going to have to wait. You're going to wait in line, okay? You're going to wait in traffic, you're going to, sometimes, sometimes, and I know it's weird, and I know it's just, you know, it shouldn't be and all that. You might actually have to wait to get inside a store. And, and what we can do is we can rise up. This is against me and my rights. Or, or, we can use the waiting to thank God to talk to God, to ask of God. What if, what if the person who's in front of me in the drive-thru that can't figure out what they want after waiting for four cars in front of them, what if instead of getting upset and rolling down my window and saying things, have you ever had the you know, conversations with just yourself but you keep your window open so you can hope they'll hear person, what are we doing up there? What's going on? Yesterday I was in line, I won't tell you where, uh, but I was, I was getting a prescription filled at, uh, um, well, I can't say it, but it rhymes with BAMs. Um, anyways, I was there waiting for a prescription, and, and it was going to be a few minutes, and, and, and I was like, oh, okay, but I got to go. Why? Because I'm in a hurry, because I'm what? Very busy. And the reason I'm very busy is because I'm very successful. And success, of course, is equated to busyness, and I'm in a hurry because I'm busy and I'm successful. Let's go. Fill my prescription now, please. And uh, so they're filling as fast as they can. I'm like, I can't waste time. I got to get something to eat. I'm not going to eat anything. So I get in line, all right? Because I've got a few minutes. I get in line. They're starting to serve a little bit of food at, at BAMS. Uh, if you go to the counter, you know, so. And they have really good hot dogs. So I'm like, all right, I'll just get one hot dog. That's all I need. It'll tide me over uh, for a few hours. And I stand in line. And I'm the only person in line. There's one person in front of me. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm standing there. I've been standing there for five minutes. What's going on? Well, my position... See why I'm so good at giving you illustration? Because that's me. And what I want to do, what I so wanted to do, was just move up, you know, I mean, mask on and everything, but just kind of tap the person in front of me and say, what's going on? Because it wasn't her. She was waiting to order. She was waiting on the people behind the counter. And I just wanted to ask her, but what I would do is ask her loud enough that the people behind the counter would hear me ask, what's going on? Because I'm in a hurry. I got things to do, places to go. I'm busy. And then all of us, all for a hot dog, that's right. Isn't that sad? So sad. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like the Spirit of God said, hey, um, what are you speaking on tomorrow? And I just started laughing. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it's me. It totally, totally drives me crazy to wait. But then when you think about the waiting that was part of Christmas, 
Maybe God's trying to, so maybe, maybe in those moments I need to use them as opportunity to talk to God. Thank God. Maybe I need to make the most of the moments that I have, including the moments where I wait. Because maybe God's trying to say something, do something, work something in me. I, I'm waiting. I, this, this, this drives me crazy. You know, this whole, this whole thing that we're having to go through and, you know, church and, man, we're coming, 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 people coming. Okay, where do we put them, all that kind of thing. Then you got to pull it back a little bit. Now it's going to take you a while to ramp it up. And I'm just kind of like, come on, God. I mean, I put names with it, okay? Like you, I put people's names with it. Come on, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. But truth is, I'm like, come on. You're the one who's supposed to be in control. Uh, Billy, is it possible that I'm trying to birth something in you in the waiting? Is there something I'm trying to say, a message you're not getting in the waiting? Oh, we hate to wait because we're in such a hurry. But maybe we just need to take a breath and slow down and let God speak and let God work something in our lives even while we're waiting. Because Christmas was all about waiting. But when it happened, huh? What a difference it made. And listen, I, I close with this verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Going back to Isaiah again. Because of the Messiah, because Christ came, because of Christmas, listen to what can happen for you and me. But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Do you notice what we're supposed to be doing, though, while we're waiting? We're supposed to be walking, taking steps. And sometimes that might be all it is. All you've got the strength for all you can pull together is just one foot in front of the other. But all of a sudden, as we're walking along, the strength returns and you begin to run. And before you know it, there are times in our life, aren't there, when we look back and it's like, how did I get from there to here? <laughs> it's as if you were flying. How did that happen? We were waiting on the Lord and all of a sudden, he came along. And he gave us the strength to walk, to run, to fly. You want to know what? It's worth the wait. Worth the wait. He is worth the wait. Say it together with me. What is he? Worth the wait. God is, say it again, worth the wait. Wait on the Lord and allow him to grow something powerful in you. And I am trusting, I am believing that even in this period of time that we find ourselves in, that God is growing something in his church. He is growing something powerful so that we can make 
an incredible difference. Darkness, oh yeah, it's all over. But guess what? Because of Christmas, he says, rise and shine, for your light has come. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. And maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching with us online, and there's never been that moment when you have said yes to Christ. There's never been that moment when you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And that's the reason he came. The reason he came is to give you new life, to give you his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And you can make that decision today, and the rest of your life will be totally different. And your reservation in a heaven that he is preparing for those who trust in him will be set. If you want to make that decision today, then I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whether you're here with us or watching with us, I want to encourage you right now to simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But simply say this, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. You came. You died. You rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I make you the Lord of my life. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly slip up your hand wherever you're at here with us today? Just slip it up and put it down. If you're watching with us online, there's a little tab that came onto your screen that says, today I accepted Christ. Just click that uplifted hand. And with it, you're saying, there goes my heart. Today I accepted Christ. Let us know of that decision. We want to rejoice with you. And we'll be praying with you that God will do something tangible in your life to make a difference, to show you the importance of the decision you made today. Oh, Father, that you would be with us in the waiting. All of us, Lord, whether it's just the little things or the big things, we wind up waiting but Lord, I think the lesson that you want us to learn will be best learned if we can apply what you're asking in the little things of life, even as this season approaches. We're all going to find ourselves in periods of waiting, and in the overall scope of eternity, they just don't amount to that much, but so oftentimes, I know I can just kind of get unglued by those. Help that not to happen. But instead, Lord, may I seize those opportunities and use them for you and pray for those around me and seek to be a vessel of light that shines in the midst of darkness. Oh, Father, we cannot help but look at our world and think pretty thick darkness. But may we see life from your perspective and realize, the Lord, that you are birthing something in and through us, growing something powerful. May we rise and shine and let our light shine before men that they may see you. Thank you for meeting with us here today is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.